Bibles because I believe I've got a message with you that ties right into what God is speaking to some individuals in this place about. It's found in Luke chapter 15, if you'll turn over there. Today we're continuing a series that is entitled, At the Movies. Now in this series we're having a lot of fun, but do not mistake, we're also looking at some fundamental truths that are so important to the Christ followers. In this series, At the Movies, I want you to... Feel free to invite your friends. We've got one more week of this series. One of the reasons we do this is to be able to evangelistically invite people to come to church for something interesting that maybe they would just, uh, that would spark their attention and then speak truth to them. So invite somebody next week. We're going to have an 80s theme. It's going to be a lot of fun, but we're also going to be asking God to do some tremendous things. Now, next week, you uh, maybe you, you saw the notice there, uh, make sure and dress up, all those kind of things, but be ready for God to speak to your heart. Well, today we're looking at the movie as a backdrop. We're not preaching the movie Finding Dory, but we're looking at Finding Dory movie as a backdrop to what God would want to speak to us today. Finding Dory was a Pixar film that is the sequel to 2003's Finding Nemo. It's a big hit so far. They say that they brought in over $951 million, almost a billion dollars already from this film since its release worldwide. It was the biggest animated release of all times here in the United States of America. A little bit of the plot of the movie, kind of the stage of what we're talking about today. The movie Finding Dory finds Dory, who is a blue tang fish having been lost from her family a long time ago. Dory suffers from short-term memory losses, so that makes her lostness and her loneliness even that much more difficult. Her clownfish friends make a reappearance, and Nemo and Marlin are there, and they accompany her on her quest across the ocean to find her lost family. Because after all, it's not a good thing for a forgetful fish to go off on their own. This search takes them to the California coast, to the California aquariums, to the Oceanic Institute, and search for fulfillment of something that was a void in her life. See, at an early age, she had lost connection with her family. Her memory loss caused her to go off, and she got caught up in a drift, and all of a sudden there is a separation, and she can't remember what, but she knows that there is a void that is there. Throughout the movie, she has... Moments where she feels cut off from her family, unable to find peace anywhere, homeless, wandering, needing to fill this void. Before she was lost at a very early age, we see pictures of her parents who loved her very much and knew about her memory loss, who would tell her, look, if you ever get lost, just keep swimming and follow the shells home. They would lay out shells for her saying, if you can just find the pathway of shells, you can find your way home. Toward the end of the movie, dramatically, she does just that. Finally, she's able to find the pathway of shells and she finds her parents waiting there. And we find out that her parents never gave up on her, was waiting the entire time for her return. Sound familiar? Sound like that'll preach? Sound like spiritually at some point, the truth of the matter is every single person in this place this morning has found themselves in a place of lostness or loneliness in our life, looking to fill the void that is a separation from our Heavenly Father. 
looking to fill that void. And although at some point in our life we're lost and lonely, we have a Father that, thank the Lord, has never given up on us. And He's awaiting our return. And He's pretty deliberate, just like the picture of them setting out shells so that they know how to return to the Father and to the Mother. He's pretty deliberate in giving us a path back to the Father. And that path is through His Son, Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says all of sin comes short of the glory of God, but God comes on the scene and He offers up His Son, Jesus. And He says, all of sin comes short of the glory of God, but if we will believe on Jesus, He gives eternal life that is available through Jesus, a way back to the Father. So today I will talk to you about speaking in regards to being lost and alone. Now, speaking of being lost and alone, there's a familiar parable in the Bible. It's a parable that many people know of as the parable of the prodigal son. A lot of people will also call it the parable of the lost son. And it's found in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 24. I want us to look at this passage, this story through these lenses of lostness and aloneness and say, God, would you speak to us? If I'm in this place today and maybe that word that was given was for me, I feel alone, I feel lost. God, where are you? Would you speak to me through this passage? Let's read this passage together. We're going to read all 13 verses here and then we'll look at them individually and say, God, would you speak to us? Verse 11, and he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property on reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And he, said, and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Incredible story that teaches a a lot about lostness and loneliness in our life. And your notes this morning, the first thing I want you to see in this story is it was a harsh request. Pretty harsh request. Basically, in the first couple of verses we read, there were two sons. 
The younger of the two sons comes to the father and says, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. It was a harsh request. It was a shocking request. See, this younger son, he says, basically, give me now what you owe me before your death. I want it now. It was a shocking thing. Now, in that time, he would have been eligible, basically, for a third of the father's estate. He was the younger son. Usually, the older son would get a double portion. He was worthy of a third. And he goes to his father. He says, I want mine, and I want it right now. It was a very shocking request. Basically, what he is saying is, I know you're still on the scene. I know you're still alive, but I wish you were dead. I wish that I was in control of my own life. I don't desire to live under your rule anymore. I want to take authority and give me what is mine. It was a shocking request. It was also a selfish request. Give me what's mine. Well, it ain't his yet. The father hadn't passed away. But give it to me and give it to me now. It was a selfish thing. Now, being that this is a finding Dory theme today, can we all admit... Finding Dory's underwater theme. Wait for it. Can we all admit that every once in a while we can be a little shellfish? <laughs> Shell. It's your comic relief for shellfish. But the truth is we can be selfish, right? We could be just like this son who says, God, I want to take control of my own life. God, I can do better than you. God, just give me, let me do my own thing. It's a shocking request. It's a selfish request. And it's a harsh request. God, it's kind of like all the way back to Adam and Eve, wasn't it? I'm going to give you this beautiful relationship. I'm going to give you this Garden of Eden. Life is going to be good. And all of a sudden, the only thing they were not to do was to touch the tree in the midst of the garden. What do they do? Selfishly, they say, no, I can control. I can do now, let's be honest. Sometimes we want to pick on Adam and Eve, but we all have done the same thing. The Bible says all of sin and come short of the glory of God. All of us separate. So it was a harsh request. Number two, I want you to see, it was a hard reality. Because of this request, he goes to the Father, Father, give me my stuff. The next thing we know in verses 13 through 16, basically the father gives the son the inheritance and the the son is seen swimming away. The Bible says he goes off to a far off place, a far off country, and he spends all of his inheritance on reckless living. He says, I'm going to do it my own way. And then he finds the harsh reality. The Bible says that once he spent all that he had inherited, the Bible says then he finds himself in a place where there was a severe famine in the land. His reality is so bad that the Bible goes on to say that now that he has spent everything, he finds himself just needing a job, and he goes to one of the locals and they said, I'll give you a job. Okay, what's the job? I want you to go feed my pigs. Here is this man who used to have position relegated to feeding pigs in this time of famine. Harsh reality. It was so bad, the Bible says, that he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. Do you understand what that's saying? But nobody would give him anything. 
He said, man, I'm in such bad shape. I'm feeding the pigs. Let me eat some of what they're eating. And yet nobody would give him anything. He's in a harsh place. When we separate from God... Now, in the movie Dory, it was her, long, her short-term memory loss and, and a current that swept her away. In our reality, we sometimes just say, God, I am going to do it on my own. I'm going to do it in my own strength. And we separate from God. And sin brings separation. Somebody in this place needs to understand that. You're flirting with sin as if it's no big deal. But sin in your life, especially if you're a Christ, it brings separation. Not only does sin bring separation... Sin brings sorrow. The Bible says he began to be in want. He's in a place of sorrow. Not only does it bring separation and sorrow, it brings shame. Here is a Jewish boy relegated to feeding pigs. And you need to understand, he used to have position, now he's with the pigs. On top of that, he is a Jewish boy. Pigs would have been considered unclean, and yet that's the only thing that he can do. He's in a place of shame. It also brings suffering. Here he is. There's no home. There's no help. And it's, there's no hope. Have you ever been in that place? No home. The story. See, because young people listen to me very closely. I just imagine, no, it doesn't say here, but the Bible says he spent all that he had on unrighteous and reckless living. I imagine while he still had his inheritance in his pocket, he probably had a lot of friends around him, right? Have you ever noticed that? We're living the life, we're living the dream, we're living in sin, we're doing this thing. Sin, understand, is fun for a season, the Bible says. But in the end, brings destruction. And now, he's lived this life. Everybody was partying with him, living it up. Now he has nothing, and where are they? Be careful. Brings sin, brings shame, brings suffering. It also brings sadness. No one is there to care whether he lives or dies. He's alone, and he's lonely. Some of you who are not a Christ follower, and today is the day where you make that decision, and the word of the Lord that's already come, it says don't leave this place the same in Jesus' name. Some of you, you say, man, I'm alone and I'm lonely. Some of you are a Christ follower, but you're not living in the relationship that is available in Christ, and you're still lonely. You're covered, but you're still not living under the fullness of all that God has because you're not nestled up against Him. A hard reality. So it's a place of sadness. So harsh requests, a hard reality. The third thing I want you to see, and this is beautiful, a humble return. I want to read these passages to you. Verses 17 through 20 says this once again. But when he came to himself, somebody in this room, you need to come to yourself. Come to Jesus' moment today. When he came to himself, he realized, man, I used to have it good. Now I'm feeding the pigs instead of being in position. He came to himself finally. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but treat me as your hired servants. 
and he arose and he came to his father. A humble return. See, the son had a realization. Man, I thought I had it bad, but now that I am seeing where I am outside of letting the Lord be the Lord of my life, all of a sudden I've made a mess of my life. And when we don't let him be the Lord of our life, not just say a prayer, but say, God, you're the Lord of my life, we make a mess of our lives. And he has this realization. Then the son has not only a realization, he has a resolve. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back and, and by humbly returning, go to my father's house. God, I'm not worthy. Father, I'm not worthy to be your servant. I'm not worthy to be your son. Just let me take out some, do, let me do some task. I'll just be a servant. And he humbly returns with great resolve. So their son returns. I've shared this before, but it's appropriate again today. When I was a kid, I grew up in a family of six children. I was the youngest of those six children. I had four, uh, four brothers and a sister. My sister was right in the middle. Uh, the rest of us, five boys, one girl. It was great growing up in a big family, but uh, I didn't always get my way in a big family. My parents didn't always give in to my request in a big family. You can imagine if you've got six kids, all rambunctious, to be able to navigate with them that uh, you really don't put up with a whole lot of stuff, do you? And my parents, they were pretty hard disciplinarians. They didn't put up with a whole lot of stuff. And they would, uh, they would come to us and we we would try to get our way, but they would say, no, this is it's my way or the highway. My parents, they didn't count when I was a kid. That's something new. I'm going to count to one, I'm going to count to three, I'm going to count to 20. Look, I'm going to be sitting over here at the coffee table. When you're ready, just come on and we'll talk about it then. No, sir. They were going to count to however long it took for you to go get the switch is the only counting that they did. Well, one day I thought I was going to test my parents. I don't even remember. I was about six or seven years old at the time. I don't remember what the occasion was. My parents were um, my, probably was fighting against my brothers or something like that. And I, I was not getting my way in the circumstance. So I was going to teach them a lesson. I went to my mom and dad. It was the evening time. It was already dark outside. And I said, Mom and Dad, if I don't get my way tonight, I am running away. Can I tell you something? My dad, he called my bluff. Next thing I know, he's literally in my room with a little backpack. And he's putting clothes in my little backpack. Now, you have to understand, I, I grew up in Jones Creek, Texas. Anybody know where Jones Creek is? It's in the country. There's only one house that's even really walking distance for a little six or seven-year-old. And everything else is just darkness all around, especially back in those times. And so he's going to call my bluff. The next thing I know, he has my little bag there. I, to add insult to injury, I'm fairly sure I remember my mom actually packing me a sandwich at the age of six or seven. Next thing I know, it's dark outside. He escorts me to the door, says, son, I'm going to miss you. I love you very much. Pushes me out the door, and I hear the closing of the door behind me. Can I tell you I was in a harsh reality? <laughs> Can I tell you it didn't take me long for a humble return? But can I tell you that my father, although he was teaching me a lesson, come to find out he was right there 
in the windowsill watching the whole time, waiting for my return. Knock on the door. I had to humbly come. For a few minutes, I thought I was going to rough it out. A few minutes. And I humbly returned. And there's my father waiting to welcome me back in. Somebody in this way, we want to do it in our own way. We have this harsh request, God, I can do it on my own. Then we get the hard reality, and it's time for a humble return for somebody in this place. The word of the Lord today is, don't leave this way, place the same in Jesus' name. So he returns. Are you on the run? Today is a day of return. Last thing I want you to see is the happy reunion. This is where it gets good. Because be just like in the story, Dory, sometimes we're just looking to fill that void that only our Heavenly Father can fill. And if we'll come to that reality that, hey, God, I can't do it in my own strength, and we'll humbly return, there is a happy reunion. I want to read this again to you. In verses 20 through 24, it says this, But while he was still a long way off, who's he? The one that is returning. I want you to see, as he makes the decision to return, I want you to see the reaction of the Heavenly Father, the picture of the Heavenly Father. Here's what the Father does. While he was still walking down the road, his father saw him and felt compassion, and he ran and embraced him and kissed him, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let's eat. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost, but he is found. And they began to celebrate. Talk about a happy reunion. Do you see the picture? It was the son who willfully separated. Yet the father every single day waited for the return. And the moment he saw a humble return, he met the son more than halfway. Do you get that? If you will just turn around and say, God, I repent, God is going to be the one who runs to you and meets you more than halfway. It says here, I want you to see something. He ran. Back in that day, it would have been considered undignified for this man to run after the son. After all, it was the son who went away in the first place, right? Son, you're the one that's got to run to me. But the father's love compelled him to run. He kissed. This is a verb, kiss. It's, it's present tense, not just once. Over and over, he begins to embrace. My son that was dead is now alive again. He was lost, but he is now found. And then... Some of you are Christ followers already in here, and you're saying, man, Cecil, you're preaching a lot today about returning to God. I'm already in God's family. But are you walking in the fullness of the position that you have in God's family? Because listen to what he does. He does some unique things. Remember, the son humbly comes. I'm not even worthy to be but a servant in your household. He says, no, I'm not making you a servant. I want you to understand you have sonship. Because what does he do? He brings, he says, bring a robe and put it on him. What does this robe represent? Robe represents purity. 
when we walk out of our unrighteousness, the Bible says He clothes us in righteousness. The robe also represents favor. Remember, there was a coat of many colors. What was that representation of? The favor of the Father. And the Father says, no, you're not going to be my servant. You are my son. Bring him a robe. Redress him in purity. Redress him in the favor. He says, now, take a ring and put it on his finger. This was his privileges. It wasn't just any ring in that time. It was a signet. It was a symbol that, hey, you're not just a servant. You are a son. You have reestablished your place with the family of your father. And then finally, shoes on his feet. He reestablishes his position. See, a servant may go barefooted, but no son of mine. Ha! Somebody, the word of the Lord to you today is, it's time to return. The father is waiting. He is sitting. All he needs you to do is take one step and he will do the rest. He will run after you and he'll come so quickly. And when he comes, he is a restoration type of God. See, that's for those who, some of you are not walking in the fullness of sonship and daughtership of the King of Kings. The Bible says you are now joint heirs with Jesus. And he puts a robe on your shoulders. And a ring on your finger, shoes on your feet, and he calls you to your position at the table with the family of God. Happy reunion, I would say. Did you know that the Bible and somebody in this room today is going to make this decision in just a moment? The Bible says that when one sinner returns to Jesus, and we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There ain't nobody better than anybody else. Somebody may have their church clothes on today, but they were a sinner just like you. The Bible says when that one sinner returns, there is a party that is thrown in heaven over one sinner who would humbly come and return. So today, in just a moment, somebody's going to give him the opportunity to say, God, I want to know the love of that Father. I'm going to take one step forward, and as I take a step towards you, He is going to run and embrace you with His arms open wide. And it's already been said, that was the Spirit of God speaking. Don't leave this place the same in Jesus' name. Make that decision. Yet someone else says, man, I'm already in the family of God. But I've not been walking in the authority of being a son or a daughter of the Most High. God, you have given me a robe to wear, a robe that speaks of your favor, a robe that speaks of your righteousness, not my own righteousness, but being covered under the right standing of God. But I've not been wearing that. And there's some things in my life I need to confess. God, you've given me a ring of authority, but I've been letting the devil just have all kinds of havoc on everything around me because I've not been nestled up under you and walking under the authority of being a son or daughter of the Most High. God, you're going to put some shoes on my feet because you don't call me a servant. I am your son. I am your daughter. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Holy Spirit, would you do what only you can do now? I've shared what I feel you would have me to share. There's already been a word that's been given over this place. It's somebody. They feel unworthy, but you love them so much 
that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for their sins so that they can become a son or daughter of the Most High. May they heed the voice of your Holy Spirit today and not leave here the same in Jesus' name. The heads bowed and eyes closed. The first response I want to call you to. Just like in the movie Dory, you're out in the abyss. You're in the dangers of life and you're saying there's a void inside. I've been running from God. I knew Him at one time, but I've willfully separated. That's what sin is. And today I want to return. Or, hey, something in my spirit. I've never known. I've just come because it's a movie series. And I don't really know anything about this Jesus thing. But something in my spirit is is resonating that Jesus came as God in the flesh, died on the cross, even though he had no sin, so that I could look to him for salvation. I've never known him, and I want to come to him. Or I've known him, but I've been running so far. The word of the Lord to you today, don't leave the same in Jesus' name. Heads bowed and eyes closed. No one else looking around in this place. I'm going to count to three. And when I do that, I want somebody to be bold enough to say, man, that's me, Cecil. I've been running, but I'm returning. I need him. There's a void that needs to be filled in Jesus' name. One, two, three. All over this place, whoever that would be. If there's only one, amen, amen. Are there others? Don't leave this place the same in Jesus' name. I've been running. Someone else in this place. Amen, amen. God's getting your attention. Is there others? I want to pray for those who raised your hand today. But I don't want to be the only one praying. I want you to be confessing. The Bible says when you confess your sins, He then is faithful and just. It's not about me, but it's about you right now. God, this is what your Spirit is doing in my life. I confess that. I confess my need. I believe that you are the Son, the the God's only begotten Son who came in this world to forgive me of my sins. I'm going to pray. Usually I'll have everyone repeat after me, but I don't want to do that today. I want those of you who need to be praying that raise your hand or you need it to. You just confess right there. God, this is what your Spirit's doing. I confess my need for you. As I'm praying, you do your own business with God right now. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the sweet Spirit of God that has been resting over this place this entire service. God, you have already spoken that somebody is going to step over that line and not leave the same in Jesus' name. And right now, as I am praying, there are those who raise their hand. There are those who needed to raise their hand that are confessing their need for you. They admit where there are. They are far from you. They have been running, but today they're returning. They're confessing that they believe that you died on the cross, Jesus, for their sins. Would you forgive us of our sins even as they confess their need for you even now? And would you cleanse us from unrighteousness? And would you welcome us back? As they take a step towards you, you are running as a loving father. And you're wrapping them up in your spirit even now. I thank you for it. Heads bowed and eyes closed. One other application of this message I want to pray over. Someone in this room would say, Cecil, I'm a Christ follower. I'm in the family. But I've not been walking as a son or daughter of the Most High. Maybe I've not been wearing the robe of favor. 
Maybe I've not been standing in right standing with God. There's some issues in my life. Yes, I'm a Christ follower, but that righteousness stuff, that robe, I, I've been, I've been under that. I've not been under that cover. Maybe for you, you've not been walking in authority in an area of your family, an area that God has already proclaimed that you walk in an authority and, and He's given you steps, but you've not been doing that. You've not been subjecting yourself under the authority of God and you say, today, God, this message, while I am a Christ follower, speaking to me on another level, and I want to raise my hand just as a symbol that I hear you, God, and as an act of faith, if that's you, I want you to raise your hand right where you're at. You're a Christ follower, but God, you're speaking to me, and I want you to know I'm hearing you. Don't leave this place the same in Jesus' name. Amen. Are there others? I don't know what he's speaking to you, but he sees where you're at right now. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, and I praise you for each and every person that raised their hand. I don't know what it is that they are confessing before you, some of them, they're saying, God, I've not been walking in right standing. There's some areas. God, right now, they're confessing that. Speak that out to him. Say, God, I'm confessing. He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins when you confess. God, maybe it's somebody else who's not been walking in authority in some areas of their life. And today, you're rising up faith in them that they are a son and a daughter of the Most High. And they don't have to listen to what the enemy says any longer. They can walk in authority. Raise that faith level, I pray. Somebody else in this place, they're feeling unworthy, even as the word has already come today. But God... You are making them worthy through your son, Jesus. Not because of who we are, but because he loved us so much. God, I proclaim victory in their life in Jesus' name. We love you and we praise you for it. Amen and amen.